all of us have um, our own disability or addiction or um, um, personal skeleton that drags us down. And it can pop up at any moment and put that cage on us. Today's episode is sponsored by Encourage X, where you can manage all of your encouragement needs in one place personal, authentic, and consistent. EncourageX.com, where relationships mean everything. What a treat today to have Jane Weiner here with us from Hopestone Dance. And Jane, you founded Hopestone, um, gosh, over 20 years ago now, right? We're going on um, June 1, we'll start our 22nd year. Unbelievable. So I got to know Jane when she first moved to Houston. Um, her sister Susan was undergoing breast cancer treatment, and Jane, as a professional dancer in New York, decided to move here to support her sister and be here during her treatment. Susan's doing great, by the way. And in the meantime, Jane has just taken the dance community here in Houston and made it your own. You've carved such a beautiful space for your dancers and your choreography, and the message. There's always a message to what you do. So what's your philosophy when it comes to dance? Um, you know, I, I, I want to, I, 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 you can never honor the people who were your teachers. And one of my teachers was Doug Elkins, who I danced with in New York. Um, and he is crazy. He's a crazy guy, um, but such a huge heart. And one of the things is, um, instead of being selective, he was community-based in his view. And he would look at um, not what you were less than, but what you were greater than, and would bring that into his work. And it was such a great way to be a dancer when I was dancing at the time, um, to be seen for what I did well, and not kind of be told, oh, you know, I wish you could do that or do it like this. He would really kind of see that. So there's this huge kind of global view that he gave me. Um, and, um, when I moved here, I really thought my career, career was done. Um, and, um, I also want to kind of thank Kathy and Jennifer Wood, who had this tiny little studio here and I would take care of Susan Monday through Friday while her husband, Alan was at work because the goal while she was sick was to keep as normal a schedule as possible for her daughter, Marika, who's now 25 and living in New York, but was nine months at the time of diagnosis. And on Saturdays, I would go over and Jennifer and Kathy were so generous and would give me this space to rehearse. And I realized that the other part, I think, of my philosophy is dance and actually all art isn't about, um, and this is hard because I think early on I felt this way, it isn't about impressing you, but it's about bringing you into my world. And it was healing. I would go there on Saturday mornings and... I'm just healed. And so at that point where I think my whole life had always been like, you know, can you write a review about me or am I going to win a Bessie Award in New York? I moved here and I realized, oh my gosh, art is so healing and it's healing me. Um, I've got this situation where, um, you know, at that point, Susan was very touch and go. Her percentages were not good. And um, in order to get through that time, I kind of would go to my little corner and just create first on me. And then there were a couple of dancers here and there that walked in the door. And then the next thing I knew, Susan was doing well. And I was bringing in more, 
more dancers and more, it's not even dancers, I feel like it's performers because my, my work goes beyond, sometimes my dance, my performers sing and they act and they wear bird cages on their heads as you just saw lately. Yes. Um, and then the other thing about it is um, dance was for the people. It wasn't for the elite. And um, I started dancing at a late age. I was about 19 when I really fully got in. I mean, it was always kind of doing some dance classes here and gymnastics there. And I was in the musical and all of that. At 19, I really got into a very serious ballet class, very behind all the other uh, women from my college who had taken it from birth. I felt like they came out of the womb in point shoes. (laughs) And um, I had kind of because I was physical, I was behind, but I, I really kept kind of my, it was like a marathon of dance. So I wasn't an elite dancer. And yet, again, it just filled me. It was the one thing in all of my kind of crazy, busy world and life that I lived, dance fulfilled me the most. Well, I, I certainly get it. Um, as you know, I, I used to dance professionally a, a long time ago before my career in television. And for me, it was like breathing. It was, yes. you know, it's, if you're not doing it, you don't feel complete. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for me, it was also healing. You know, when I felt um, any kind of uh, disarray in my life, going into the studio would just rejuvenate you. And so another, I, it would take you to another world. It takes you to another yeah. world. It, yeah. it really does. Being yeah. able to express yourself um, in that way. Um, it's interesting. I, you know, as long as we've known each other, I, for some reason, I was thinking that when you moved here, you always had in your mind that you would start a dance company here. Mm-hmm. I did not know that you had basically thought your career would be over. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I really, I, um, and I'm so saying, you were, you were basically giving up your career yeah. to come here and care for your sister. At that point, I thought it, it was that. And you know, you can't plan your life. You know, what do they say? You know, God looks at our planners and laughs. Yeah, um, exactly. And uh, our daytimers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess I, I guess it's our iPhones. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was exactly what was going on. Where I thought I had this full, rich career and did in New York. The past twenty-two years have been tremendous. I felt like Houston has just opened up its arms to um, to me. Um, I felt like Susan and Alan, her husband, were very connected, and, and that was really a gift, and then that kind of helped pave the way. And then when she got better and they kind of became a family, I mean, they were a family, but when they really mm-hmm. were like, okay, right. it's not cancer 9 to 5, it's right. to say 24-7, right. and I got to have more free time and, and all of well, that. And then coming here with such a... Um, um, being a community-minded person, really having that already as part of your DNA. Mm-hmm. And Houston is such a welcoming community. It is. And um, But I think the fact that you already had it in you to approach it in that way, that the community really embraced you, and just, you know, watching the things that you were able to put together um, as a dancer, bringing together, I remember doing, um, what was it, at the Brown? Pink at the Brown. Pink at the Brown. So, yeah. And um, you actually performed in one of them. I did. Yeah. I did perform in Pink you at did. the Brown. You, did. I did. Ballroom, you were ballroom dancing. I was then. ballroom yeah. dancing then. And, but I, what I loved was bringing together all the different the different ballet companies and the modern company and the, you know, the jazz company, the theater companies and 
just bringing everything together to celebrate what art can do yeah. and bring to a community. And uh, that that is so important because, again, I go back to that idea that dance and art is for everyone. And with Hopestone, our tagline is art for all. And I also believe that we're going to solve our problems if everyone starts doing art. Okay, we can do, we can have all these solutions, but if if as a community we we did art on a regular basis, and I'm also going to put in a plug for dance on a regular basis because of the neuroplasticity, you know, findings that they're having with mm-hmm. our brain and our body, um, so much would be healed. Um, so much would solve itself because exactly what you and I said, we go into that form and the healing begins. And so... I think road rage is going to go away. I think, you know, people might put their guns down. I mean, on and on and on. Now, it's not going to cure cancer, but it sure is going to make all of it better because we've also danced with cancer survivors as well. We did belly dancing with cancer survivors. So this is this is one of the reasons that I really wanted to to talk to you and have you as a guest on the on the podcast. So most recently, I mean, I, I went to see. Uh, remind me the name of the name of the piece. Apostrophe S. Apostrophe. A, tale, a tale of possession. A tale of possession, and it's phenomenal. If you ever get a chance to see it, because every every piece that you do says something. This one in particular. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about what it was. And while I was watching that, I was like, I gotta have her on the show. I just gotta have her on the show like now, um, because this whole idea of where we are as a nation, um, dance and art have a place yes. in helping to heal that divide, mm-hmm. I believe, and I know you believe it. Oh, I but, so do. But, but please talk about uh, Apostrophe S. Well, um, and I, I did the piece, um, thanks to Diverse Works, uh, Sixto Wiegand invited me to do it in 2004, which is when I created the first version of it. I did it again in 2006 at the Wortham, which is lovely, but it didn't work because it wasn't as intimate. And then I did it at the Hobby and also at the Match. Um, we do a performance every year at the Hobby for about 3,000 plus children where they bust the kids in. So this was a little bit more of the child-friendly one. We mm-hmm. did one a couple weeks later that was a little more adult version. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it grew where there was one gentleman who never took the birdcage off of his head. Or if he did, there was one, a couple moments, like maybe about 10 minutes where he took it off, but he always had to know where it was. And to me, that is, I think all of us have um, our own disability or addiction or um, um, personal skeleton that drags us down. And it can pop up at any moment and put that cage on us. And we don't see our full worth and our full potential. And we're behind this cage and we think everybody sees that. Everybody knows that I'm this or that. And whatever whatever we term ourselves, you know, it's, it's also that idea of like, Sometimes we say, oh, that child's ADHD or, you know, they're on the spectrum instead of, or they're black, they're white, they're, you know, all of that that goes on instead of the labeling. Yeah, the labeling. Yeah. And so I sometimes think then we put that label on ourselves and that's, that was that bird that's cage. That's the bird yeah. yeah. Which when it comes off and we find our true self, our authentic self, um, there's our gift. There's, there's our gift that we can give back to uh, to the world. Because when we're behind that cage, sadly, we're really no good to anybody. We're no good to ourselves. Yeah. And then when we, we don't value who we are, right. 
then we don't value others. Or if we don't believe in, or if we look at ourselves and feel that something is wrong with us, then oftentimes we project that onto others. Yes. Yeah. And that's where the judgment, the othering, yeah. and the judgment starts yeah. to come in. Yeah. You're you're not as good as I am. Mm-hmm. But what's really going on is I don't feel that I'm good enough. Right. It's that here or zero. Either yeah. I'm all the way up here yeah. looking down on you and judging you. Right. Or I'm all the way down here in that birdcage and you're stepping on me. Yeah. And the other thing, I don't know if you, it, you may not have noticed at the hobby, but they were gold. They were gilded mm. cages because mm-hmm. that to me kind of mm-hmm. wears that. And then the other thing is, again, I did it in 2004 and I made that wall. Who would have thought? Building. So, so talk the about the wall. The yeah. wall it's a wall of shoeboxes. Right. With all the colors yeah. and all of the sizes. And every, it, to me, it was a wall of, of community and held together by hot glue. <laughs> <laughs> but and at some point you could take it off. But to me, when I looked at the color and the diversity, it was amazing. It was over 2,000 um, shoeboxes. And each shoebox was so different. So what if our wall is one where we all join together and maybe a little bit more than hot glue gun, but that we create that because some people who didn't know it was a shoebox thought it was a quilt. Really? So instead of it being a wall, can we quilt it together? And I go to like the vision of the AIDS quilt, you know, which got so big and joined so many people together. And so what is it that's going to, join us back so the othering as you said can disappear um and i love that that idea that when we all die we're a skeleton you can't tell who we are you don't know you know yes you might be able to see some deformities in the skeleton but we all go down it's like that ashes to ashes kind of idea so there has to be a joining together there has to be that bringing together and that's why we play red rover you know, in many cases, it's a children's game, but it's kind of like, and, you know, I kept having my dancers say, you're mine, you're mine. We don't, we can't own a person. You can't own, own a person. And then at the very end of that game, we hug. So it goes into that hug. So, you know, I think we've got to find how we can, I mean, it's sad. I think we're the most um, cut apart right now. I'm very, very sad to see um, the finger pointing that's that's going on, and I even myself did it. I mean, we all I think we all grow grow up to judge instead of I think of that Marianne Williamson idea that we're all equal parts of the sun, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah. So the wall, you know, the wall got a little scary. In fact, sometimes when I would post on social media, I would just say we're building the set. <laughs> I was scared to say wall. So yeah, yeah. it just hit me. Because. It just hit me. Yeah. That that wall. So the so let's try to explain for the for the audience what this looks like on the stage. So it's this wall, like you say, of two thousand shoe boxes, all of different sizes, shapes, colors mm-hmm. that are glued together and it serves as the backdrop yep. for this piece. Mm-hmm. And, and we dance in front of and it. And dance, yeah. you dance in, in front of it. And the, the initial dancer has this gilded birdcage on his head, mm-hmm. and as you so eloquently described. Um, but just the the juxtaposition of that wall and what it stands for with the wall that our president wants to build on the southern border and what that stands for in some people's minds, mm-hmm. because not everyone 
agrees with with what that stands for. Yeah. Some people say that stands for America's sovereignty, and um, and we should keep illegal people out and not you know not deal with that situation in a in a different sort of way. Whereas the wall in your piece is more about celebrating the diversity and what everything yeah. brings, and it's about bringing in and not keeping out. Yeah, and I think it's because. Going back to what do I like to dance about? I like to dance about people. I am drilling down to find the humanity. I don't, it's not so much about can my leg go this high or can I turn four times, but it's can I connect to whoever is watching and their humanity. So, so interesting. It's people. I don't know where we put the word illegal in front of that. People are people. Yeah. Everybody is a people. Every single person one of us as a people and so if we can and that goes back to the otherness we're, we're back there again and I, I feel like we've got to realize that I mean in all of the spiritual teachings it is about helping our fellow man and woman all of the spiritual teachings every single spiritual teaching out there is about helping and it's not about well, my teaching says this and my teaching. All of it talks about healing and helping. So if if we as not a nation, but as a world could just say the people of the world, that's, you know, and right now, you know, I mean, this is a whole other topic, but we're like cooking our world. So mm-hmm. like all of the peoples need to come together. Mm-hmm. All of the peoples right. from all over right. need to come There's together. Only one earth. Oh, one earth. You know, we just, you know, the, turtle that's extinct now. I mean, all of that. We've got to look at that. So let's not build walls, but let's bring in the diversity and share ideas and share um, differences and, um, you know, uh, I don't know, just invite it instead of pushing away. So I'm curious as to your thoughts about um, about art and and all the different performing arts, just art in general, being taken out of our schools. Uh, because oh, I know. I just had a talk with I um, know. Dan Connectus from um, Tuts, and we were talking about this. Well, I, I, you know, I, I feel like we could almost connect, you know, some dots between uh, the removal of art from our educational system and connected to kind of where we are now where we don't value humanity yeah to the degree that maybe we used to i don't know if it's an unfair comparison but it just feels like we don't value it as much and when you and i were in school we did have the opportunity mm-hmm. to you know take an art class or take a dance class or whatever yeah. and in many cases our kids today don't have that. No, they don't. No, they don't. And that's the other side of Hopestone where we go out into the schools right. and do that. Mm-hmm. And we're finding um, how, it, what a bridge it is to this humanity. Exactly. And I, I was saying this this morning. I was with um, two friends having coffee, and I, we were talking about that. And if I had the money, I would do a study on the rise of bullying with the extraction of art in our schools. I think there's a direct connectedness to it because in art is the compassion. It's not about size. It's not about how I look. It's really about this creation of of, um, 
of our work and the creativity and and creativity wins and in that case we all win because we're all creative we just need to learn how to extract it out of our kids and so I do think that when we have a creative mind creativity and compassion I think are almost the same word when when you look at it because if you're creative you're compassionate if you're compassionate you're creative I think they go hand in hand and so yeah it is being extracted because you know it's it's more important to do well on a, on a test that um, is standardized. And so what if you're a Hispanic student and, you know, English is not your first language at home. And so you're then being judged on that. Or an Asian student. I mean, there's all of these. So we, we've got to look at, like, what, again, this goes back to judging. It yeah. goes back to judging. Yeah. Why are we judging our kids? Why are we doing that? To me, it's like, what, why can't, and art does this, why can't we find the conduit that that child learns the best and then do it that way? And art just, and not art with other subjects, art standard. So, yeah, so there's a whole, you know, there's a whole movement going on now um, that does just that, and it's called learner-centered education. And so mm-hmm. we can have a whole conversation, conversation about, about that yeah. later, uh-huh. but, but I become a little bit involved in that community. So I'm starting to learn more about it. Mm. But that's the whole concept is that it's not just uh, students get going into a classroom and learning a curriculum, right. but the classroom is the entire community. Yeah. And so part of the learning takes place in a classroom. Part of it might take place, you know, in a community garden. Part of it might take place at a local business. It might take place at a, at a grocery store, yeah. at a fresh air market. I mean, learning can and should happen in all communities all and areas. all forms, and every child learns differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah. and, and art certainly has a, a, a huge place in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to uh, get It's back. also the creative youth development. There's a, a group called Creative Youth Development, CYD, hmm. and their whole thing is to, to let it be child-centered projects. So we go in and we, I teach, and then we work together, and then they, the children, take over the project. And so mm-hmm. their whole belief is if a child, if a group of children could, say, put together a play or um, um, create a set together, and I want it to be blue and you want it to be green, and we figure out how to do that, we move into a conference room, and the same thing happens. Right. And it's not a power struggle. It's uh, ability to listen. Oh, and art allows us to listen. There's a whole other uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. Just the listening skills that art gives us. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I wanted to get back to the whole concept of othering and, and ask you, as I, as I do all of our guests, if there is a, um, a, an instance in your life where you felt like the other. And if so... What was that? How did it make you feel? What did you learn from it? And how are you using those lessons in your life today with what you do? Um, so it's interesting. There, there's been a lot of times in my life where I felt like the other. And I think that the biggest is um, um, I grew up uh, during a time when um, I think I grew up during a time when it was kind of like the California girl 
was the beauty. You know, long blonde hair and uh, kind of had that look. Mm-hmm. Makeup was a big thing. Um, candy shoes and tight jeans um, were a big thing during my high, junior high and high school years. And I hated them. I hated that. I just couldn't. I didn't want to put on a bunch of makeup. I didn't want to wear like skinny jeans and high heels. Um, uh, I found, um, you know, and I think a lot of other girls at my age were really blossoming with their sexuality, and I was kind of holding back. And I felt very, very different, especially in in um, in junior high, which I think a lot of kids feel different. I'm teaching at a middle school right now, and kind of going back to like, oh my God, I was so out of place then. Um, and so um, I think that really struck me as as I, I didn't feel like I fit in. I tried to fit in. I really wanted to be friends with everyone. It was kind of a, a blessing and a curse that I could be. And then I think I also valued their opinions too much. Um, so I think that was a, a, a big time. I don't think I recognized that until probably I started to professionally dance and kind of going back into that whole thing of, um, even then I felt slightly different because I didn't come out of the womb with my point shoes on. I started dancing at 19, so I felt it again. And yet every time I would go into the actual dancing, into the performing, I was removed to another place of beauty and, and love of myself and care and, um, and all of that. Um, the other thing is, and I mean, I'll say it, um, I'm going to out myself is I'm also uh, 24 years sober. So that was another part of my othering. I found that in the weakest point when I finally said, I can't do this anymore. I can't abuse myself with drugs and alcohol anymore. My othering, um, I, I joined a group where I was, my seat was the same size as everybody else's and I was equal and kind of going back to that Marianne Williamson, I was the same size of the sun as everybody else. I wasn't bigger or I wasn't smaller. I was right sized as we like to say. And I think that was a huge transformative time for me. And it's why I sometimes think we all have that disability. There's always something that makes us feel that way. And the biggest thing of me getting out of that othering was finally asking for help. Instead of saying, oh, I got this. Linda, I don't, it's okay. I got it. I got it. Which I did for so long. I just kept saying, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And I had a wise woman that said, fine and okay are not emotions, Jane. How are you? And that's when I was like, I just need help. I need help. So... Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's so hard to ask for help. I did not know that you had struggled with that. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations to mm-hmm. you for your 24 years. Yeah, amazing. it's wonderful. And, you know, I just, it, part of it is, you know, we, we are a group of anonymity, but at a certain point, I'm very, I'm very, it's, it's a lifestyle that has brought me so much um, uh, peace and serenity that if somebody's out there struggling, I want to say, you can do this too. Right. Yeah, you right. can find that. You've mentioned a couple of times the work that you do in the schools, and particularly in middle school, which is very, very tough age. Mm-hmm. We, that's, that's the time when 
it, it's pivotal. You know, you can lose a kid. Yeah. In yeah. seventh oh, and eighth grade. Oh, I mean, that, that's around oh, the time yeah. when you can really either lose them or, or help them move in the right direction. Um, when you see kids being othered, how do you how do you handle that as someone who's in the school and and part of the artistic community? How, how and then using your own experience, what what do you say? What do you do, or what do you model for them? I give them responsibility and empowerment. As soon as I see it, I will immediately. Um, make sure that um, I give them, I I ask them to help me. The person being othered or the person doing the othering? The person being othered. Okay. Also, the person doing the othering, it's probably happening in their life too. So they're both being othered. Right. Um, and their lack of, um, their weakness in that situation is making them find power. So they're zero in this situation, which means they're trying to to find um, the hero, which is not a hero, but they're trying to find their power. Right. So both of them are, um, you know, and I, I, I have this one class in particular where I sometimes think, mm, I think that one might be, you know, possibly being bullied or, or there's something going on. And I think that guy could be, or that girl could be doing it, but I also think it's because it's going on. So how do I empower both of them so that they can feel positive empowerment instead of negative empowerment because usually a child or even an adult in that situation they just want to be seen so let's let them be seen in a in a positive way instead of a negative way and and hopefully that will help them with it so you know sometimes I you know like I um, might have a a, a a job for them that I'll notice that one and I'm like you're in charge of this and that I learned years ago. I had a little girl. We were at Bates Dance Festival. Little girl that would not do anything. She's about thirteen or fourteen. Would not do anything. She's kind of sat with her arms folded. I think her name was Stephanie. Would you come dance? No. Would you dance? Would you drum? No. 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 So one day, actually, the other drummer that was there said, "Make her be your tech person." So I said, "Hey, Stephanie, would you help me? I need you to kind of get the sound ready." It was like overnight. It so it's finding finding that you have to find, find the niche for these yeah. kids. What, what, what is it that turns on that light yeah. bulb? For so if you're if, if if you're not good at football, you might be good at singing. If you're not good at singing, you might be good behind the scenes. And it's giving every single kid a chance to find that. And that let's go back to our school system. We've got to take the time, and a standardized test does not do that. What we need to do is really, what are the questions that we ask a child? How do we bring them out? How do we figure out what they need? Are they, you know, are they ready to come out? Are they LBGDQ? Do they need that support so that they don't feel othered? You know, all of that. So what what can we do to support our children? They're the most important natural resource we have. They are so important. We cannot screw around with that with our schools. We have got to, you know, we are the most diverse city, so every child needs to be treated equally, you know, and art is one of those things. Art is an equalizer. We've always said that. So let's just get it into our schools any way, shape, and form, and not to be tested, to just be, let it just be and sit on these kids and do the work that it does, you know? Wow. 
I love your passion. I love your, I always love talking to you because um, you, you just bring your whole self to everything that you do. Um, so as we, as we wrap this up, if there were one thing that you would want people to take away mm-hmm. from um, this conversation, from your, um, your love and respect for art and what it can do, not just for our children, but for our world. What is that takeaway that you want people to have? So it is, I feel that this kind of goes back to the community. Like I think about um, like Scottish dancing or Irish dancing, like everybody did it. Everybody did it. You go to some of these other countries and like a, like a folk song comes on and like from the 99 year old grandfather down to the two year old, they're all doing it. Um, where they're singing, we all, not watching art, and I, I, I love to watch art. I mean, I love to go to the museums, and I love to see dance companies, and I love, I just saw Catastrophic um, do Toast, and it blew me away. Brian Yuka um, is an old friend from New York. I mean, I love going to see it, but just watching it is not enough. We all have to get our hands into it whether we take an art drawing class, whether we learn guitar, whether we decide that we're going to take a theater class, get involved in a community play, take a social dancing, whatever it is. Regular basis to me means once a week. It's like bowling. It's once a week. So all of us, all of us need, and need's a strong word, we need to be doing art on a regular basis. Because? Because it's going to change our mind. It's going to change everything in our body. The minute we start doing it, we're going to feel uncomfortable. We're going to feel passion. We're going to feel a drive. We're going to feel like this I can do, this I can't do. I want to be able to do this. I can't do that. I want to try to do that. We're going to be community. We put the damn electronics down and we are in a community maybe taking ballet or doing a theater class, or doing clay, or painting, all of us together. Getting to know each other. Getting to know each other. And ourselves. Yeah. And probably one of the most intimate, you know, has a good and bad connotation, but it's a good connotation because we do need to know ourselves. It's the mindfulness. It's the most mindful thing we can do. So the takeaway is quit watching it. Quit just sending your kid to it. We should all be doing it. You know, I say that to my parents. Are, are you dancing? Are, what are you doing for yourselves? You're making an example of your, for your child, so we should be doing it. Ballroom, right? Ballroom's yes. great. Ballroom's yes. great. Tango. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So I think is as a, not as a nation, not as, but as a peoples, we should all be doing art. Whatever it is, you know, whatever form that it takes, a camera, whatever, just Start doing it because it's going to completely change your DNA, you know, to to be more aware and we see things through a different lens. Well, you've just been given your marching orders, okay? <laughs> you've just been given your marching orders. This is just so amazing, Jane. Thank you so much for sharing your passion for love and life and art and, um, and helping people to see it through through your lens because it's just it's a beautiful way to look at the world. So thank you for, thank for, you for having yourself. me. It's been a joy. Thank it's you. Been such a joy. And thank you for taking the time to listen and watch. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for giving our guest permission to speak and for having the courage to listen 
with an open mind. If the mission of Our Voices Matter resonates with you, please like, subscribe, download, and share, and then join the conversation because it really is going to take all of us to make a difference.